coaching youth sports um, is difficult. I don't know if you've ever done it before, but coaching youth sports can be difficult. Actually, anything with, anything with children um, can be difficult. If you're a teacher, a coach, something like that. Um, it can be difficult because um, as, a, as a coach, for instance, I've had to have these conversations with parents um, after, you know, after the game or after a few games where their child didn't get as much playing time as they thought they should have. It's really hard to have a conversation with a parent where, where I can say to them, you know, your child is very special to you. And that's good. That's the way it should be. Your child should be special to you. But, but in the grand scheme of things, your child's not all that special. Uh, they're pretty average. Um, they're incredibly average. They're, they're not incredibly athletic. They're, they're, they're really average, which is fine. Average is fine. Most people are average. That's why it's called average. It's fine. Your, your child is not, in the grand scheme of things, special. I know they're special to you. I think you should roll with that. That's really good. They should be special to you. That's nice. But compared to everyone else, they're, they're pretty average. Um, they're not that unique. They're not exceptionally athletic. They're just kind of there. Um, and, and, and that's fine. It's fine. Um, if you trace through history, I, I really enjoy, I not only enjoy um, coaching youth sports, I also enjoy studying history. I like, I like reading history. And you look through history, what you find is that most people, 99.9% of people, are forgettable. They are. We don't, we, we, we can't possibly know the stories of every semi-important person ever. We can't. We don't have, the books aren't big enough. We don't have enough time to read. And so there are a lot of people who were, for their moment in time, they were pretty influential. They were pretty powerful. They were pretty rich. They, they had a lot of people they could tell what to do. They were, they were pretty important in, in their, like, town or in their city or maybe even in their nation for for maybe even a few decades they were i mean they were fairly important they had a nice run they had a nice run now we have no idea who they are they're they're completely gone from the pages of history nobody cares because we we don't have the we don't have the interest or the time or the brain space to keep track of every semi important person ever and so, you get to Hebrews chapter 7, and the, the author of Hebrews has decided that Melchizedek is special. He deserves more playing time. He deserves more air time. He deserves a page or a chapter in the Word of God. The author of Hebrews in the, in the book of Hebrews, talks about a lot of different people, a lot of different Old Testament heroes. He talks about a lot of different ones. Um, Melchizedek is especially important to him. He's special, which is super weird, because if you read through the Old Testament, if you blinked, you would probably miss Melchizedek. He shows up for just a few verses in Genesis chapter 14, and then he gets mentioned very briefly in Psalm 110. We'll talk about Psalm 110 next week, uh, but if you want the entire biography of Melchizedek in the Old Testament, you, you look at Genesis 14, 
you look at verses 17 through 20. Four verses. That's it. Um, and there's this little time in, in Abraham's life. So Abraham, his, his nephew, has just been um, captured. Uh, there's this coalition of kings that has come in to Sodom and Gomorrah and has gone to war with the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah and they've defeated the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah and they've taken Lot captive. Alright? So this is before all the craziness went down in Sodom and Gomorrah. This is before all of that. Before the pillar, or the, the pillar of salt and the, and the, the, it's before all that. Um, Lot's living in, in Sodom and Gomorrah. These kings decide to go to war with Sodom and Gomorrah. They take captive Lot and a whole bunch of other people. Abraham, who just happens to have about 315 or 318, like, trained warriors who just work for him. Like, he's got his own, like, Navy SEALs, his own special forces. He gathers his guys together. They go, and they go to war with these kings, and they rescue Lot. It's a pretty big day for Abraham. It's a pretty big day for Abraham. And then when that happens, Genesis 4 says, And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abram gave him a tenth of everything. So Melchizedek just showed seemingly out of nowhere, and then he's gone. And and he's one of those things, like if you're just reading, like some of us some of us start in January, like I'm going to read the Bible. I'm going to read through, I'm going to read a chapter of the Bible every day this year. So we, we've made it all the way to January 14th. We're on Genesis 14. And we're starting, we're like, our, our eyes are starting to glaze over. And we're just kind of, we're just kind of doing, going through the motions. We're just reading it because we said we would, right? And we haven't even got through January. I can't give up yet. I'm still only in January. So we're going through. We made a Genesis 14 and we're just zipping through it. If we, if we kind of zone out, we'll miss him completely. But the author of Hebrews thinks, no, this guy is special. We need to stop and think about him. So that's what we're going to do this morning. Our sermon this morning is, why was Melchizedek so special? Why was he so special? We have five reasons. Five reasons from these ten verses why Melchizedek was so special. Number one, first reason, is because he was a king and a priest. He was a king and a priest. Verse 1 um, says, chapter 7, verse 1, For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. So what's the first reason why Melchizedek is so special? Because he's a king and a priest. This, this would not, this didn't happen in the Old Testament. You don't, you, it's kind of like um, checks and balances here in the United States government. You don't want to give one human too much authority, too much power, too much responsibility. You have to divide up the roles, right? You have to divide up the offices. A king cannot also be a priest, and a priest cannot also be a king. Sometimes in the, sometimes in the Old Testament, you saw like a priest doing sort of kingly things. God would allow them to do kingly things, and then you would see a king from time to time. God would allow them to do something priestly, but they would never be able to like be both things, be both a king and a priest. That was against the rules. And it was wise. Because humans can't be trusted with that much power. But Melchizedek is different. 
And we don't, we, this, this, we have questions. But for some reason, God has set, has officially set up Melchizedek as both a king and a priest. He officially, and this was sanctioned by God, this was allowed, designed by God, he officially held both titles. So the author of Hebrews says, we need to talk about this guy. This is different. This is unique. No one else gets to do this. This guy is special. Our second reason why he was special. Second reason why he was special. Number two is because he was a king of righteousness and peace. Verse 2, and to him, Abraham apportioned a tenth part of everything. He is first, by translation of his name, king of righteousness. And then he is also king of Salem, that is, king of peace. So he's known as these two things. He's, he's known as king of righteousness and the king of peace. So most scholars, um, they connect Salem, like being the king of Salem, they connect that Salem with Jerusalem. This, of course, is um, hundreds of years before David was the capital city of, of Israel in Jerusalem. It's, be, it's before the temple. It's, it's long before any of that. There was no nation of Israel. There's, this is long before Jerusalem is what we think of as Jerusalem. But this is probably the same area. Salem, probably that same area as Jerusalem. Um, but that's not really what the author of Hebrews is. It's kind of a cool, fun fact, but that's not what the author of Hebrews wants us to see. He wants us to see these two names. He is the king of righteousness, and he's the king of peace. This would have made Melchizedek stand out. Uh, the days of Sodom and Gomorrah, that whole region was filled with Violent, rebellious, bloodthirsty kings. So to be a king of righteousness and a king of peace would have meant that Melchizedek would have been very different than any other king around him. He would have stood, stood out. He would have been, he was known as a king of righteousness and as a king of peace. And this is a wonderful reminder that God has always packaged these two together. If you want peace, you must be righteous. So what makes Melchizedek so special? He was a king of righteousness and a king of peace. Our third reason why Melchizedek was so special, he had no birth or death certificate. He had no birth or death certificate. Verse 3 He is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the Son of God, he continues a priest forever. I actually like uh, whatever version Craig was reading, but but made like the Son of God. So there's there's a way in which God the Father designed Melchizedek to show what the Son of God is like. He resembles him, made like him. It's it's, uh, we, we have Melchizedek here is showing us a little bit of what the Son of God would be like. Resembling the Son of God, he continues a priest forever. This is fascinating. Again, there really isn't anybody in the Old Testament like this. If the, if the Old Testament talks about any other truly important person, if the, if the Old Testament wants to highlight someone, they are going to talk about their father and mother, and you're, you're, I mean, you're going to know who their dad was. You're, you're probably going to know who both their parents were. You're, you're going to know you're going to know their birth story, right? They're, you're going to you're going to know their birth certificate. You're going to you're going to have the birth notice, and you're probably also going to hear about when and where they died. 
You're going to get the birth notice. You're going to get the obituary. If a person is important, you're going to hear about their parents. And you're going to hear about when and where they died. But Melchizedek is different. He was very important. And he wasn't just some random king that just kind of, that, that, that doesn't really matter to the pages of scripture. But this is a king that, that Abraham was inferior to. This was a, this was a great man of God. And this is someone that God allowed to be a priest. So this is, this is weird that we don't know who his parents were. This is weird that we have no idea when and where he died. Now, it doesn't mean um, that he didn't die and he was never born. That's not what it's saying. It, it, when it says he had no mother or father, it, that's not... It, some people have said, oh, this must be a pre-incarnate Christ. I don't think so. I think what's happening here, and, and I've been convinced of this by a lot of people who have studied this greatly... I think what's, ha- what's happening here is that, is that this is, Scripture is recording the life of Melchizedek, the biography of Melchizedek in a very special way. Scripture is making a point with what it says and, more importantly, what it doesn't say. It's written to make it seem as though Melchizedek just always existed. This is weird. It's a weird way for Scripture to, to record the biography of Melchizedek. It's, it, we're, we're supposed to, when we read that, say, wait, why? Wait, what? What? How did he get to be a king? How did, how did he get to be a priest? We don't even know who his parents are. And why don't we ever hear about how he dies? What's going on with this guy? We're supposed to ask these questions because of the way God has inspired Genesis to be written God has made Melchizedek, Melchizedek to resemble the Son of God. Now, not that he was the Son of God, but he, he, was, he was made to resemble the Son of God. We'll talk more about that for a minute, but for now, let's just understand, here's another reason why the author of Hebrews thinks Melchizedek is pretty special. There's no birth or de- death certificate. So he is just standing out. He is a, he is a king and a priest, which is weird. He's a king of righteousness and peace, which would have definitely set him apart in the uh, days of Sodom and Gomorrah. And we don't know who his parents were. We don't, we don't have a, a birth or a death certificate. Now here's our fourth reason why he is special. Fourth reason is because his priesthood was greater than Levi's. His priesthood was greater than Levi's. Okay, so now we're going to get to verses 4 through 10 in a second. But before we do, um, let's, let's just remember together for, for fun the awkward conversations we had over Thanksgiving, over Christmas, over New Year's. You know, maybe you don't. Maybe you don't have any weird people in your extended family. But, but one of the things you notice during the holidays is that the great thing about the holidays is that you get to spend a bunch of extra time with extended family that you don't get to usually see. The, the terrible thing about the holidays is you get to spend a, a bunch of time with people you don't usually get to see. And in the midst of that, you remember, oh yeah, this is why I don't usually see them. I remember. I remember now. They're really strange. 
There's, they're, they're odd. They, oh, he's got a, he's got a new girlfriend. Oh, neat. She, okay. Woohoo. Oh, that, oh, okay. You ever had that where you're all together and you're just like, man, I don't, I, this, there's, there's a person who just does not fit here. Or maybe you're all together and you're like, boy, I don't, I don't fit here. <laughs> I, I, I want to go home. Uh, and now, now try to imagine what it would be like for the first century Jewish believer. All right, because your extended family is 100% bought in to the Old Testament priesthood. It is, it is really hard for us to even understand. Like, it's, this is, this is hard for us to get our heads around. But if, if your, I mean, your extended family, they, they are convinced. They have, they have built their life around the truth that, that if you're going to be forgiven by God, if you're going to be blessed by God, if you're going to be protected and loved by God, then you need the priests. You need the priests that come from the tribe of Levi who descend from the family of Aaron. You need them. If you do not have the priests, then you are on the outside looking in. You have no hope. You cannot be blessed by God You cannot be protected by God. You cannot be loved and forgiven by God. You cannot be right with God if you do not have the priests that come from the tribe of Levi, that that come from the family of Aaron. You need them. And so if you if you show up for Thanksgiving, or they didn't have Thanksgiving, they they definitely didn't have Christmas. Whatever. Like you 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 show up and you're gathered with your family and you're like, yeah, actually I don't I don't do that anymore. I'm not big I don't I don't go to the priests anymore. I don't I don't do that. They say, yeah, I haven't seen you at temple. Yeah, I haven't been. I don't do it. I don't go there. I mean, that would be like, I don't even know. I don't even know. If I told my dad I was a, a Democrat or a vegetarian or something, it would just be like, I don't even know. There's not even, there's, there's no, there's no, <laughs> there's no comp. <laughs> it truthfully, honestly, seriously, it would be like, you're, you're saying, actually, um, you're, you're saying to them, I, I not only have a new and better way to be right with God, I have the only way to be right with God. Now it's not just this, oh, they got a weird new tattoo, or they got a weird new girlfriend, or they got a weird new job they're doing wait you're a professional video gamer that's not a what is that that's not a thing it's not it's not just this awkward like i don't understand you anymore it's not that and again if you're a tattooed weird girlfriend video gamer fine you do you i'm not saying whatever you know we all have choices we made i'm just saying this is this is more than just a like i don't understand generational divide (laughs) this is you're going to hell You've turned your back not only on your family and the way we've done everything. You're, you've turned your back on God. The, the pressure that comes it must have been astounding. The tension 
must have been something that we have a really hard time getting our heads around. And so, so the author of Hebrews is going to help that first century Christian, that Jewish Christian who is just holding on for dear life. The author of Hebrews is going to say, no, you're right, you're right, you're right. Your family is wrong. You feel wrong when you're with them, but you're right. They're wrong. Hold on. Because he's going to say, in his sort of meandering way, he's going to say, there is proof that there is a priesthood that is better than the one that comes from Levi. There's a priesthood that's better than that. And in fact, (laughs) there's a priesthood that makes that priesthood obsolete. Verses 4-10, through he says, See how great this man, Melchizedek, see how great this man was to whom Abraham, the patriarch, gave a tenth of the spoils. And those descendants of Levi who receive the priestly office have a commandment in the law to take tithes from the people, that is, from their brothers, though they are also descended from Abraham. But this man, who does not have his descent from them, received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. It is beyond dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior. In the, ca- in, in the one case, tithes are received by mortal men. But in the other case, by one whom it is testified that he lives. One might even say that Levi himself, who receives tithes, paid tithes through Abraham. For he was still in the loins of his ancestor when Melchizedek met him. What is he saying here? It's a lot. The, 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 the point that he's getting to, though, is, is, is first, and f- first it's, it's Melchizedek was greater than Abraham. And we know this because Abraham paid tithes to Melchizedek, and Melchizedek blessed Abraham. The, the superior person receives the tithes, and the superior person blesses the inferior person. This is the way it works in the Old Testament. All right? But, but here's sort of the, 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 the thing he's driving to. Not only did Abraham say, I am inferior to, to Melchizedek, but, but also because, because Levi and all of the priests who would come from the tribe of Levi, they were, they were in the loins of Abraham. They were in that family tree. So, so Abraham is there, and you can picture him as the family tree. He is the, he is the family tree. He is bowing down to Melchizedek. There is a priesthood that is greater than the priesthood that would come from Levi. From, that would come from Abraham, Levi, Aaron. That family tree, that's the only priesthood that these people knew anything about. And what the author of Hebrews is saying is, actually, no, there's a, there's a whole other priesthood not related to Abraham or to Levi or to Aaron, not related to them at all. And not only is there a whole other priesthood, but, but this priesthood here bows down to this one. This one right here is going to last. It's, it, it came before, and it's going to live after the, the one that, that comes from Abraham. Abraham, when he pays tithes, like he would to a priest, he pays tithes to this priest It's like Abraham and Levi and Aaron and all of them over here paid tithes. 
and, and said, you are superior. So the author of Hebrews is saying, we have proof right here in our beloved Old Testament, our, our beloved Scripture. We have proof right here that there is a, that there is a priesthood that God Himself designed. It's a priesthood that, that was blessed by God. It was ordained by God. It was a priesthood that did not come from Abraham or from Levi or from Aaron. It's a priesthood that is even greater than the priesthood that came from them. And it's the kind of priesthood that's going to outlive the priesthood that comes from Levi. That's the kind of priest that Melchizedek was. So, here's what the author of Hebrews wants you to see. Yes. Yes. Melchizedek was just a blip on the radar. If you blink, you might miss him. But he is special because he is proof that someone can be a king and a priest. He is proof that righteousness and peace belong together. He is proof that there is a greater priesthood than the one in the Old Testament. Those are our first four reasons why Melchizedek is special. But we are left saying, okay, but what does that do for me? What does Melchizedek have to do with me? And that brings us to our last and best reason why Melchizedek is special. Number five, he resembled the Son of God. He resembled the Son of God. Verse three, one more time, he is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the Son of God, he continues a priest forever. So we mentioned this verse earlier, but we absolutely need to mention it again uh, because, because look at what it's saying. Melchizedek resembles the Son of God. In other words, God made Melchizedek just the way he wanted him. He was, he was made to be like the Son of God. God wrote his story in the Bible just the way he wanted it to point to Christ. The greatest thing you can say about Melchizedek is that he showed us in some ways what Jesus Christ would be like. He gives us this small prototype of the better priest who was to come. He gave us proof that there was a better priesthood, and he gave us a small type of the better priest who was to come. He made us hope for better things. See, we, we know that we need someone like Melchizedek, don't we? We need a priest and a king. We need a priest. You and I need a priest. We need someone who will represent us before God. We need someone who will give us access to God. We need someone who will guarantee that we are safe when we are in the presence of God. Because we want to be in the presence of God. We don't want to be cast out into punishment in hell forever. We want to be with God where there is joy forevermore. We want right now to to have access to God where we can go and we can ask Him for help, for strength, for wisdom, for courage, for joy. We need, we need to, to be able to boldly go to the presence of God and not die when we get there. We need a priest who gives us access. We also need that priest to be a king. A king who will establish a kingdom where we will be safe forever. 
A king who will rule and reign over all things so that all those who belong to him will never have a single thing to fear ever again. Nothing to fear from outside of us. Nothing to fear from within us because our king has vanquished all of our enemies. Sin, death, hell. Now, Kizadek couldn't do that. But the one that he resembled could. Jesus can. Jesus is the king and the priest that we need because Jesus is going to do what Melchizedek couldn't have done. Jesus is going to serve as a priest forever and Jesus is going to rule as king forever. Melchizedek was written into Scripture to be an example of of what only Jesus could truly be. Melchizedek couldn't live forever. He couldn't just come onto the scene without mother and father. And he eventually, you know, he's not here now. He's, he died. He couldn't actually serve as our priest forever, and he could not rule as our king forever, but Jesus can and Jesus will. And, and, and Melchizedek, of course, also couldn't bring righteousness and peace. He could show us that they belong together. He could stand out in a, in a, in a day where there is no righteousness or peace anywhere. He could show us that they belong together, but he couldn't actually give them to us. Everyone everywhere wants peace. If, I mean, this is what New Year's resolutions are about, right? It's about people looking for peace. Anytime someone Cracks open a new self-help book. Almost any, almost any marriage is our is our is is us looking for peace. Almost any divorce is us looking for peace. There is a way in which our new outfits, our new homes, our new jobs. It is this quest. For peace. If I can, if I can live here, or if I can live with that person, or if I can live like this, if I can have, if I can have this level of health or this level of money in the bank, if I if I can just have some this or that or the other thing, we are we are on a constant search for peace. If I could eliminate that person from my life. I will finally be at peace. We have been looking for peace. But since the days of Melchizedek, actually since the days of Adam and Eve, the the Word of God has been clear, you cannot have peace without righteousness. You cannot have peace unless God is pleased with you. You cannot have peace unless God has declared you righteous. If you are not righteous before God, you are at war with God. And if you are at war with God, you will not have peace in any sphere of your life. You cannot have peace unless you are right with God. So when we hear that Melchizedek was known to be a king of righteousness and a king of peace, it makes us think, doesn't it, of the, of the only truly righteous one. It makes us think of Jesus who came and lived the perfectly righteous life that we all could not and would not live. And then He died 
so that we could be forgiven of our sins and so that we could be counted righteous before God, so that we could be declared righteous before God. We could be forgiven of all of our sins, made clean, and then declared righteous before God. He died so that we could be righteous and so that, therefore, we could have actual peace. Not peace that the world gives. But peace that only Jesus can give. If you want peace this morning, turn to Jesus. Maybe right now you don't believe the Gospel. Like right now you have never just admitted that you are a sinful person. That your, your sin, your sin has, 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 has made you unclean before God. It has made you unrighteous before God. You are not right with God. And you, you cannot, you cannot go to God's presence forever. You will be judged by God forever. You, like your, your sin, your sin is keeping you from God. If you've never believed that Jesus Christ is the only one who can pay for your sins on the cross. You've never believed the Gospel that Jesus paid for your sins. You've never repented of your sin and turned to Christ. If that's true of you, then turn, please turn to Him today. Please believe the Gospel. Please believe that Jesus and Jesus alone can save you from your sins through His death on the cross. And then if you do believe that, and keep believing it, next week we're going to get to a couple of wonderful verses. Verse 17, speaking of Jesus, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. You're, you, are, you are the same kind of priest that Melchizedek was, only much greater. And therefore, in verse 25, we're going to see Jesus is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through Him, since He always lives to make intercession for them. If you believe the Gospel, then keep believing the Gospel. We have all kinds of things that weigh us down. We have all kinds of things that burden us. We, we, so so, so there, we, we're, and we're all just wired different ways. And so some of us, we're, we're just not going to share with anybody anything. Right? And some of us don't feel like this great emotional pressure from it, perhaps. But all of us have things that we have, that we are, weigh us down. We have confusion. We have questions. Perhaps we have things we're embarrassed by or ashamed of. We, we all have ways that we need courage and strength and wisdom and joy. Over and over and over, Scripture says, draw near to God through Jesus Christ. He always lives to make intercession for you. Draw near to God through Jesus Christ. He has died on the cross to bring you near to His Father. He has died on the cross to bring you near to His Father. Let's pray together. God, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for Hebrews. We thank You for this chapter. We thank You for the little blip on the radar that was Melchizedek. We, we thank You for all that we can learn from him. We, we thank You for all the ways that he points us to Your Son. 
pray that our lives would be marked by this just desire that Christ be honored, Christ be glorified, and that, and that Christ be trusted, come what may. That, that we have this confidence that we can always draw near to you asking for wisdom, asking for strength, asking for joy, asking for help. We can always draw near to you no matter what it is. No matter what it is we are facing. We can always draw near to you. Because Jesus Christ always lives. He has saved us to the uttermost. He was completely and eternally saved us. So He always lives to make intercession for us. Help us to believe this. In Jesus' name, Amen.